Take just a second to say hello to all you guys watching online. We love you. We consider you part of our family. But there's nothing like being in a house with other people who love Jesus. There's nothing like being in a house with other people who, who are just as broken as everybody else. But we've figured out something. And we figured out that we don't have the answer, right? We figured out that we know somebody that got the answer. So we're all just a group of people on the same journey. We're just at different stages. So if you're visiting with us for the first time today... Please know you're welcome in anything. Find somebody with a sticker that says, I'm here to help, and they will get you where you need to go or find out whatever it is that you need to know. I want to encourage you to be, be praying during the message. I often don't tell you to not pay full attention, but I'm asking you to open your hearts. Uh, we're going to do, like Melanie said, our Project 216 offering at the end of the service, and Melanie's going to come back and share some more stuff about Project 216. And I just want to say, I want you to know this as pastor. I was telling some of our trustees earlier. That the reason we do this is this is, our, this is our church supporting and being a part of what is really a community, uh, a community endeavor that Project 216, Melanie will share, gets, gets funding from. And people send us funds from different churches, different groups. And this is us working through our generosity, to be able to, uh, to leave a legacy next door. Leave a legacy in the kids' building, to leave a legacy over there in the, in the school system that there's kids that know their love, kids that know their, that somebody thinks about them because we're doing what God's asked us to do. And uh, before I take all the Melanie stuff, I'll shut up and, and move on. We're going to finish up today our series, What's Next? It's the series we do again every year. Then we go through the things that God promises us and the promises he still has for us today. And in those promises, it works out, and we worded it out this way, that God wants lost people saved. He wants you to be able to know him. He wants saved people pastored. He wants pastored people trained. Now that he's got you free, you discover your purpose, and he gets you on the roll, and this is what we're talking about today. And he wants trained people mobilized. He wants us doing something. There's this, this tradition, a religious tradition that we can come in, I get saved, I find a seat, and then I come back and sit in that seat every week until, until that, cu- that cushion has formed around my tuchus, and I just sit there. To me, it's funny. It's funny for two reasons. There's some churches that got pews, and you got people's form shaped into a pew. That's how long they've been sitting there. That takes a long time. At least we got foam. But it's really kind of a sad thing because the greatest thing that could ever happen to us, that our eternity is secure, the God that forgives our sins and forgives everything I've ever done, and we get saved and we come in and sit. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is about mobilization. It's about going. Let me give you these. Here's how we work those four things out here at Believers. The first thing is that God promises you, he promises a salvation, that you can know God. It's his highest priority. And he says, to, he says to this, once you know me, then go find freedom. Then God says, I can, I'm going to free you from those things that you can't seem to shake. Free you from your yesterdays. Free you from the hurt, from the pain, so that you can move forward. Then he says, I'm going to redeem you. He says, I'm going to now get you back. I'm going to show you why I put you on this earth. We talked about it last week. If you've missed it, go
go back and check out our podcast and the video on demand is all there on the website um, and on, on Facebook and YouTube. You can go watch it. But he says, I'm going to bring you back to the reason you were here on this earth. You were created on purpose for a purpose. The reason. There's, there's some reason that you're here. And it's sad how many of us as Christians never figure that out. We never, we, we get to the end of life and I've, I'm sure that we look at God and we get to heaven. He'll say, well, you did good to hear, but what happened to the rest of it? So we, we discover our purpose. And then we get to this one, our last one, make a difference. Now it goes from a singular thing, just you, to now God's talking about us as a group. And his promise is fulfillment. And people will ask me, well, can I get a fulfillment? Can I find fulfillment on my own? And here's the short of it. No. You can't. That's not how God created us. God didn't create us to be an individual that does everything on our own and accomplishes everything on our own. It's actually a myth that you accomplished everything on, on your own. I had a friend of mine who he didn't really know his dad, didn't even really know who he was, and he also um, had no relationship with his mother. And so he went through life saying, I did this all on my own. I got myself this far. I get through school. I got a job. I built this business. And I get what he's saying because he did that with no family help growing up. But I asked him one day, do you really think that's true? He said, well, yeah, why? I said, well, you don't know your dad, right? Yes. I said, you don't like or want to know your mom, correct? Yes. I said, but could you have gotten here without him? Well, yeah, I could grow and I... No, you couldn't. So even those people who say, well, I've got no parents, no family, somebody had to get you here. Somebody, God had to use somebody to, to get you into this earth. And this is the promise in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. God says this, I'm going to take you as my own people, and then I'm going to be your God. He takes us as a group. He saves us as an individual. So how do these promises play out here? I want to give you this. We're going to recap, then I'm going to give you this, make a difference. Here's how these work, work out here. Knowing God. Knowing God works out exactly what you're doing now. When I say work out, that means how do we walk this out? What's our game plan to know God? It's exactly what you're doing now. This is why we tell people all the time, if you do nothing else, invite people, bring people who you know have a gap between them and God, or maybe they're angry with God, or maybe they've had a bad experience, or maybe they don't know God at all. That's why we put so much effort, so much time, honestly so much finance, into making Sunday morning everything it can be. And you know what? It's simply not enough. Because at that point, that's when I go, okay, God, we're here. And we sing that song today, the new song, and it says, the goodness of God. It says, all my life, you've been faithful. God, you've been so, so good. If he doesn't show up, we're just making a bunch of racket and singing off key. But when the Bible says that his, his praise, when we praise him, that he shows up, that the Bible says actually God's here. He's not only here in spirit, but he's here on the inside of us. And you bringing people here gets people in the position where the, we can then do what God told us to do and simply offer them Jesus so that they can know God. And that happens mostly in our weekend service. It, happen, it can happen at home. I've had people call me and say, hey, I really felt like God just started 
poking at my heart, and I receive Jesus in my room by myself. That can happen there too. But that's why we walk this out first and foremost on Sunday mornings. We never close a service without offering you a chance to meet Jesus. Because I want a church not just for church people. If we have a church for church people, then really there shouldn't be any more salvation, right? Because you're not saved, sorry, we just, we just worship with all of us saved folks and all you people who don't know Jesus, all you hellions can just figure it out yourselves. That is not the gospel. But sadly, it's a lot of churches. That we want people who are far from God, a place they can discover the same grace that you have. The next thing, the finding freedom. We do this through grow groups. Through what we call grow groups, you can call them small groups. Well, how does that happen? Isn't that supposed to happen when you preach this message and, and you just set me free from my past? As wonderful as the messages are, no, it's not. Because I can't do what, it, what, what you can do face-to-face looking at somebody eye-to-eye and go, I've been where you are. I struggled with what you struggle with. I had the same sickness. I had the same issue with my kids. I had the same issue. And look what God did for me. And the way you find freedom, you go to, you go to people and they'll bring freedom to you. Now, it's God using people. But you want to get over your past, let people bring healing. The Bible actually tells us to do that, to go to each other. You've been designed for that. The next thing, discover purpose. This is what's coming up new. I think it's October the 24th. We've done what we call in the past. Many of you know what we call the growth track. I just felt like it wasn't working like I felt like it should. So we're redesigning all of this. And we're calling it One Step Connect. So it's going to be one evening, you'll come for a meal, and we're going to help you get on the team. If you want to make believers your home, we're going to point you in the right direction to figure out what your purpose is and get you plugged in all in one evening. And again, if you've been through step, if you haven't been through what was our growth track and you've missed one of the steps, then we're going to ask you to come. We'll have that registration out in a few weeks. We're going to ask everybody who hasn't completed the growth track, the former growth track, to come. Because we've got a lot of people, and we've got a lot of people to, to put in a lot of places to do a lot of stuff. And we can't do it without you. I don't want to do it without you. Some of you have gifts that I can only dream about, and you're not using them. And we need to get you involved, making a difference, making an eternal difference. You see, God has for us, in fulfillment, there's this fulfilled life. There's this, this idea of, of making a difference, and that's what we're talking about today. And we work that out through what we call the dream team. Some churches use the, honestly, have you heard this before? Have you heard somebody in a church somewhere say, we need volunteers for the nursery? Oh, come on. We need, we need volunteers for the kids' church. We know they're terrible, we know it's aggravating, we know you don't want to do it, but we need volunteers. Most of you I know, and most of you I trust, you want to help. But is children's church and nursery really your calling, your gift, your purpose? A lot of times it's not, and we go do it because a volunteer can leave room for, I want to satisfy the, the church, or I want to, please don't try to satisfy me. But the reason we call it Dream Team 
is because I truly believe when you're doing what God created you to do, when you know what your purpose is and you're walking that purpose out, that you're not only fulfilling God's dream for the kingdom, you're, for, you're fulfilling God's dream that he put in you. And that's why we call it the dream team. You see, it's you doing something together bigger than you could ever do by yourselves. It's a God-fulfilled life. God, God says, I'm going to take you as my people, and the way I'm going to fulfill you as a people is we're going to go change the world together. We're going to go reach Sylvania. We're going to go find those people who think that right now, somewhere in Screven County, somewhere in, in Jenkins and Bullock or wherever you may be, there's somebody that thinks nobody knows I'm here, nobody cares about me, nobody will ever believe the, the mess I'm in, nobody loves me. Those are the people we want here. Those are the people I want sitting beside you. Those are the people that need to, need to know and know that a God loves them. But you see, anything else besides you living out your purpose is leaving life unlived, unfulfilled. Look what the Bible says in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only, his only reason for existence is to steal, kill, and destroy. And God says, I've come that you could have life and have it what? Have it full, not partial, not just get saved and get to heaven by the skin of your teeth, not just be, well, life was okay. The Bible says, I've got more than you can imagine. So some of you right now, if I asked you, would say, well, Clint, I got, it, I got it pretty good. I got a good job. I've got, my finances are good. My wife's good. My kids are good. Life is good. Even that, you have to know that the Bible says there's more. God's got full for you that you can't be full without him. And you need to know that God's plan is always to live that life to its fullest. You see, but we settle for less. We settle for less because a lot of times we don't want God to change me. We want God to change the situation around us, right? Okay, y'all weren't listening, I don't think. If we're honest, we're being honest this morning, and we say, God, I have this situation. I need you to take that person that is my problem and change that person. That's not what we should be praying. We should say, God, I'm in this and I have this problem. Change me. Because I'm in it, so I'm part of the problem. God, what do I need to change? How do you need to fix me? And then I promise it'll begin to move. God will begin to move that problem and fix it. You see, the problem is we leave what God wants. For, we leave some of what God wants for us on the table. We leave life unfulfilled. God says, I have this whole big smorgasbord of food, and you're only eating one dish. You're only eating one thing. Why? Well, I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to give you some reasons. Why do we leave life on the table? Our yesterdays define our tomorrow. Some of you still, we struggle with this finding freedom thing. We can't figure out what our purpose is. You letting your yesterdays define your tomorrows. This is why we want to help people to take steps to know God, find freedom, discover a purpose. See, what happens is your yesterdays become this voice saying this. Who do you think you are? Who, you can't go teach those kids. You're a terrible mother. You can't go hang out in the nursery and love on those kids. You're a terrible father. You can't stand up. I can promise you this, and I haven't even asked him, but Mr. Eric, did, Eric Tinsley did our welcome this morning. There's times I know in his life where he walks out here and the devil's saying, well, you can't stand in front of people. 
They don't, they don't know what you did 20 years ago, but I know what you did 20 years ago. And they start, these whispers begin to happen. And the devil begins to cause you to let your yesterdays dictate your tomorrow, and you never take what God has for you off the table. If you hear anything today, hear this. Don't drown in the whispers. There are a lot of you who are treading water. And I don't know who this is for, but I just felt it in my heart all week as I put this in my notes. And you're drowning in the whispers of other people and of Satan. The devil himself is whispering in your ear that you're not worthy, you're not valuable, you're dumb, you're stupid, you're not a good this, you're not a good that. Other people have joined in and whispering about you. And here's the fact. You're a daughter and a son of God created by him for a, reason, for a purpose on purpose. And don't let anybody ever tell you any different. Don't drown in the whispers. Some of you live your life just trying to keep your nose above what everybody else thinks about you, what, who they think you are. That's not what matters. The one who created you and what matters. Look what King David wrote in the book of Psalms. He writes, My guilt has overwhelmed me like it's a burden too heavy to bear. I'm going to sink. I can't tread water and I can't do this anymore. Here's the thing. You don't have to. You can stop leaving life on the table, leaving what God has for you. Let me tell you this, carrying your past and listening to the whispers of other people is unsustainable. I don't care how tough you think you are, how thick-skinned you are, how determined you are, how stubborn you are, it's unsustainable. You will ultimately come to the end of your life and you're going to look back at the table of, that God set before you and you're going to leave stuff on the table because David himself said it's unbearable. So life left on the table, unfulfilled life, is also a result of this. We play these truth games. And I actually, gosh, I can't believe it's been this long, almost 20 years ago now, did, more than 20 years ago now, did a, a part of my master's on what's called subjective uh, relativism, or it's relative truth would be a term that we would use today. And that truth, there is no truth with a capital T. All truth is with a lowercase t. In other words, it can change. Now, think about today. Is what's true today necessarily true tomorrow? Mm -mm. Is what was true five years ago true today? That we talk about a, a, a culture that when I asked a simple question, boy, girl, man, woman. I don't know. So we don't like it. We change it. So this truth games is called this relativism. My truth is relative to me. But the truth is, God's truth, the capital T, the unchanging truth, is that we know it's not God's plan, what I'm doing, what I'm saying. See, and the, the world changes the playbook on us. The devil changes the playbook on us. So what was true yesterday is not true today. The devil goes after even things like relationships. He's destroying not only, he's destroying marriages, he's destroying sons, father, son, mother, son, mother, daughter, parent, parental relationships. He's destroying those. Why? Because truth becomes relative. He's lowering standard. He's redefining what's moral. Melanie and I were talking yesterday about raising our girls, raising Mabel and Emma and 
Mabel's 13, and about as a society, what was true even five years ago, 10 years ago, and what's acceptable for a 13-year-old boy or girl to look like, dress, act like, has now just shifted. Like, you got 13-year-olds that we, we as adults are treating them like 20-year-olds. And what they wear and what they say and what they do and what we train them. What was true, the Bible actually says that you sh we should train them in the way that they should go. We keep changing what's true, lowering it. This culture just changes the name. It redefines something. It was unacceptable. Think about this story. Those of you who have kids will, will get this. Those of you who don't, just laugh because it's funny. Um, <laughs> but you remember, remember, anybody remember Veggie Tales? And there's a Veggie Tales at Rack Shack and Benny. Remember those? That was based on the Old Testament. If you've never seen it in the Old Testament, the king basically builds a big statue of himself and says, hey, you guys are going to worship me. Those guys are really named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But you know that those are not their names? Those were their Egyptian names given to replace their Hebrew names. And their Hebrew names, in short, said, I'm a man of God, I support God, and I support truth. That's what their names meant. Those, those names mean, one of them, I think it's Abednego, actually means, I don't know if I'm a man or a woman. An undefined human is what it means. One of them says, I hate God, and one other one says, I turn my life from God. They were, so what the world did, what the king did, is he's tried to redefine them. I'm going to make you into something that I want you to be by just redefining you. And we, we leave life on the table because we let the world redefine us. We play this truth game. When the Bible says, my word is true, that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, forever, and ever, and ever. See, it's a big deal today. We make our own truth. Culture creates its own truth in Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. A lot of people say like me, which I don't do Instagram a whole lot, but other than reposting church stuff. But it's amazing because, you know, you... They've created these things in Instagram and other apps called filters. And there's some people that they were maybe not in the front of the line when God was handing out beauty. And you throw on somebody like me, throw on the Instagram, and man, I'm George Clooney. Right? I, I, but because it looks that way, does it make it true? No, no, it doesn't. Because as soon as we take what we the the phony relative truth down, and we look at real truth in the mirror, we see right, ladies. I mean the same thing. You can go from you can take your picture, no makeup, no nothing, put it up there, and suddenly you got perfect makeup, perfect eyes, perfect hair, and you snap a picture, right? Guys, if you ever do that, I'm stealing your man card. <laughs> ladies, we do that. Or ladies, you'll do that and go, and then take your phone down and send that off into the universe as truth. Is that truth? Is the picture of that model on the billboard when you ride into I-75 perfect? Is that truth? Or did somebody give her some digital assistance? Yeah, they edited that. It's not truth. And the Bible says, Paul says this, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Or God? Not humans. 
we leave life on the table. And then quickly, I'm going to have to hurry here so Melanie can have her time. The third reason is we fall into this trap and we start believing because truth is relative. I haven't fixed my yesterdays, so they're defining my tomorrows. And we realize, we believe this lie that I don't need people. I can do this by myself. I can fix this by myself. I can fix my life. I can fix my job. I can fix, I can do it by myself. To do it alone. Why? Because people are pain. I don't want to deal with people. I jokingly said to a guy that asked me one time, he goes, what's the most difficult thing you do in your job? And I said, people. Y'all are aggravating sometime. Here today, gone tomorrow, life good. Life. The problem is I'm right there with you. So we get to where I don't need people. If I, if I got to explain the job to somebody else, I just might as well do the job myself. No, that's not how God created us. Because he knows that God, the devil knows that we, he damages relationships because we don't connect with people. Because here's something you need to think about. Your relationships, if you can look across them, I guarantee you, you can find some similarities between your relationship and how you relate to God. And the more he destroys your earthly relationships, the weaker your godly relationships become. See, the Bible says that even, uh, even Solomon, who wrote this in Ecclesiastes, he says, he says there was a man who was all alone, he didn't have son or brother, he had no family, he worked and worked and worked and worked, so he had all the money he wanted, everything he wanted, yet his eyes were not content with wealth. Why? Because he was alone. He wasn't connected to anything else. There's this, this big word, and I just gave you the word, I'll show it to you here, it's called transcendence. It's, and the way you transcend is you go beyond, that means, and the way you go beyond is you do it with other people. You do more with other people than you could ever do on your, on your own. And people do crazy stuff to be a part of a group. Think about it. For those of you who went to college and saw fraternities and stuff, it amazes me the, the stupid stuff people do to be a part of a club. And don't think, girls, y'all were any difference. The sororities were just as bad. Even in high school, the dumb stuff that we do because I want to belong, because it makes me bigger and it makes me part of something big. Because it's in us, this is the truth. God saves a person, but he fulfills his people. He saves us as individuals and puts us in a group and says, now I'm going to do things, like, do things you could never imagine. 2 Corinthians says that, that God, I walk with them and that they're going to be my people, these tribes, these groups. So real quick, how do we walk this out? You need to know this first of all. That you have always been a part of God's plan. Even at your lowest point, and some of you may be sitting in that lowest point right now, it doesn't mean you fall below some mark and God says, oh yeah, they got below you. Yeah, I'm going to have to take you out. I'm going to have to replace you. Put in, put in another plan. Now, will he get it done without you? Yes. But he wants to do it with you. You've always been a part of his plan. It's just not me that, that, that has to do it. The Bible says we're on a team together. 2 Timothy says he saved us and called us. Not because of anything we've done, but because he has a purpose for you. And then he gives us something we don't deserve, grace and mercy. He says, here, now go do it. You see, this is the thing that begins to change our got to. You've heard me say this before if you've been around. Into I get to. 
Some of you will hit that point if you haven't yet. Of I got to go to church this morning. That's what your first thought when you wake up on Sunday. To you wake up on Sunday morning. I get to go to church because God's done for me and He needs to do for them. And I know people that don't know Him, and I get to be a part of something bigger than. I get to stand at the door and greet. I get to get to hang out with the kids over there so that hurting mom and dad can go over and just let God minister to them. Right? I get to. The second thing is that God, God's plan points at one purpose. See, life is not about you doing something great. I hope you do. Life is not about you winning the lottery. I hope you do. We will help you spell tithe, and then I'll help you spell millions. So I hope you do. I hope you sell and create the next Facebook and get, you know, $500 billion. Again, tithe millions will help you. But that doesn't, that doesn't make us great, and it doesn't make, I don't think God gets excited. But I think he does get excited when you understand that the Great Commission is not just about going, but it's about going somewhere and taking somebody to an eternal place. It's going somewhere and helping somebody who's lost, dying, lonely, and hurting and getting them to a place where they can, they can come and spend eternity with you and then begin to do what you're doing. In Acts, the Bible says that my life is, not worth, is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish what God has me to do. The work, the good news of Jesus, the wonderful grace of God. And I promise you this, I know this is a long phrase, it's a long sentence, but it's true, that the happiest people on the planet are those who are making an eternal difference in other people's lives. If you don't believe me, go one day and watch what happens when we take the child who has nothing. You really can't, that's part of the problem, you can't go watch. But if you could see the, the look on the child's face when they get shoes that they could never afford, they probably don't deserve, because we don't care what they, where they are, what they, they can't earn it. But you see in their face the lives that they realize, somebody loves me. Somebody brought me this thing, this, this item, this stuff. And this last one, and I'll close here, and I'll give Melanie some time. And God's promise... Make a difference. That's pastored people who are mobilized. Here's how I'm going to give you a marker that you can kind of know. Flip the switch, and I've made it. It's because your focus changes from me. It's all about me. Me, 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 me. It's me getting better, me doing better, me doing better, to... We, we get to go do this. We get to reach out. We get to serve food to 100 cars or whatever it was out here that day in in the searing heat. But it was fun because we did it. It wasn't about me. I'm going to ask the guys in the back of you all do the lights for me. It'll be a little bit different today. But you need to know this. You can't do it alone. God will get it done, but it's more fun with you. Solomon writes this in Ecclesiastes 4. He says, Two are better than one. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. There's this term called ROI. Many of you guys who are maybe in stocks or business 
this term called ROI, and it means return on investment. That I've, I think God gave us these gifts, he gave us these abilities, he said go make a difference, and what he's looking for is the best return on his investment. Well, what's the return on God's investment? Is God counting dollars? <clears throat> no. Is he counting stocks and bonds? No. But he is counting people. He's counting, there's another one, good investment. There's another one, good investment. There's a lost one, good investment. There's one that came back, good investment. There's a whole family, good investment. That you're making a difference is not just ticking numbers on our clock or ticking numbers on how many people we have, which we're growing, and that's wonderful. But God's like, there's another one. It was worth it. See, the Bible says in John 15 that you're, we are his disciples, and when we bear fruit, but look what it says a few verses later in verse 11. It says, I've told you these things because not only do they get something out of it, they get to meet Jesus, they get to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and join you in making a difference. But look what this says. I've told you these things, that you will be filled with my joy and that your joy will overflow. You'll be fulfilled. The actual Greek word there means to fill to capacity. That's my prayer for us this morning. We're not just giving to Project 216. We're not just giving to the church. But God, we're doing something of our, from and of ourselves to make a difference. Amen. And we're going to change the world in doing it. Amen? I mean, once you bow your head and close your eyes, I'll go ahead and ask Melanie. You can make your way up here. But as she comes, for those of you who say, Clint, well, I don't, you're talking about making a difference. I don't even know God yet. At least I don't think I do. The Bible says to you that there's a certainty, and that certainty happens when you simply do this. You receive Jesus for who he is. The Bible says that you believe it in your heart, you confess it with your mouth, that Jesus came for you, he died for you, God brought him back for you, and that you believe He is your Lord. <clears throat> and if you haven't this morning, it's a simple thing. It's simply, you can pray at something just like this right where you sit, and then you can fill out one of those connection cards, and we'll encourage you and give you your next steps. And it's simply this. Just something like this right where you sit. You say, God, I received Jesus. Lord, I'm sorry for not listening. I'm sorry for not obeying. But today, I believe you are who you say you are. That you are my Lord. You are my Savior. And I believe it with all my heart. God, I'm going to walk with you and follow you the rest of my life. It's that simple. In Jesus' name, amen. If that was you, grab one of those cards. Let us know. We want to encourage you. I'm encouraging all of you. Let's go do something. I don't know if y'all have noticed it, but time's clicking by fast. I told somebody the other day, I don't even, I don't remember having a 2021 and a 2020. Like it just, phew. the scary thing is, there's, that means there's people that we didn't reach. There's people out there that need to know they're loved. Amen? Amen. Amen. <coughs> Melanie. Well, this is one of probably my favorite Sundays of the year because I get to stand up here and share a story with you about a small group of people who decided to trust a big God. And that's basically what we did with Project 216. About 11 years ago is when it started, all of our school system decided that they were going to start requiring school uniforms. And so we as a church knew 
there's some needy families in our county and that might be hard for them to get school uniforms. So we thought we can look out our front door and see the elementary school, we should probably help out. And so that very first year we bought some school t-shirts and um, the counselors mentioned that there were some kids who needed tennis shoes as well for PE. So we thought, okay, we're gonna do this. We'll get some school t-shirts, we'll get some tennis shoes, we'll give them to the elementary school, pat ourselves on the back, look what we did. It was great, right? But as we began to do it and step it out, we figured, you know what? This shouldn't just be a one-time thing. It should be something that continues. It should be an actual outreach of our church, not just, here you go, we did our good deed, now we're done. So when we decided that it was gonna be an outreach, we thought, you know what? Outreaches need names. So we were throwing around some cute names, something, you know, they've gotta call it something. And um, one day we read James 2.16 and starting in um, verse 15, it says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. And the next verse says, what good does that do? And I've noticed with myself, I've noticed here in the South, it's really easy to hear about a need and say, I'll be praying for that, right? I do it myself. When you wanna help those who are less fortunate, there's effort involved. It's not good enough to just sit back and go, oh, I'm gonna be praying for you, bless your heart, God bless you. And so this verse here, what good does it do? The very next verse says, faith without works is dead. We don't wanna be a dead people, right? So we decided we're gonna take James 2.16 and name the outreach this. And so over the past 11 years, we took it from the elementary school into the middle school, into the high school, and began to service our entire county. And we decided our goal would be, we're gonna help meet physical and educational needs of the kids of Screven County, whatever that looks like. We didn't wanna to go to the schools and say, hey, here we are, we've got a thousand pencils for you. And the school goes, thanks, we really needed notebook paper, but thank you, right? So we told the counselors, you come to us. You tell us the needs that you see, and we're going to help meet them. And before Project 216 happened, faculty and staff, when they saw needs, what they would do is they had two choices. They could either just let the child exist with that need, or they would take what little salary that they get and pay for it themselves. And so now they don't have to do that anymore. They can go to the counselors, the counselors come to us, and over 11 years, there have been zero times that we've had to tell them no. I think that's pretty amazing. You can give yourself a hand for that. And what that is is God taking a group of people who just said, we're willing, we'll do something, and it's grown from us into something like Clint said, that it's the entire community. There's other churches that send money for it. There's other organizations. There's other individuals that send money to Project 216 so that we can keep doing what we're doing. Because it's not just me, it's we. And we can do a lot more together. And so um, we can't really show you faces of the kids who have been blessed because of privacy. So what I did, I went to the counselors and said, can you just write me a little something about Project 216, what it means to you. So here's some of what they said. Um, one said, I know that anytime a student has physical needs, 
Project 216 will provide for it. It's taken the financial burden of buying necessary items for students away from teachers and counselors. Families are given meals and students are given school supplies. Our high school seniors get graduation attire needed to take pictures and walk. All of this is possible because a dedicated group of people ensures our community does not go without. And then she put a Bible verse. It says, and the king will answer and say to them, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it for one of the least of my brethren, you did it for me. Another counselor said, Project 216 offers items like book bags, school supplies, headphones, jackets, clothes, shoes, socks, food, bedding, glasses, toiletries, prayers, and much more. The service you provide puts a smile on the student's face and makes school and life so much better. Students who receive your services are identified by counselors, teachers, parents, administrators, or themselves. Your selfless giving causes a ripple effect of good things to happen for the students. It not only makes their life better by helping them have necessities, it also gives them a self-esteem boost, which in turn increases their connection with school and encourages improvement in academics. Much thanks for loving our children and helping us teach them compassion and empathy for others by all that you do. As the saying goes, it takes a village to raise a child. We want to thank you for being a part of that village that helps our students in Screven County flourish and be more successful. Um, so that's what the counselors had to say about that. But, but even besides the physical items that we do, for the past several years, we have helped sponsor an eighth grader for what's called the REACH Scholarship. And it's this program where a student gets sponsored for $1,000. By the time they graduate high school, they have a $10,000 scholarship for college. And so you are helping these kids who maybe had no dreams of ever being able to go to college graduate and actually think that it's a possibility. And that's because of your generosity in doing that. Then, like it or not, there's families in our community that do not have food at home. You know, all of us can probably go home today, open our cupboards. We may not like what we see there. We may not feel like fixing something, but there's food there. And a lot of our students, they get free breakfast. They get free lunch during the week. They were going home on the weekend, not eating, and waiting until Monday to come back to school and eat again. So when we heard about that, we got plugged into a weekend food bag program, started at the elementary school, then the middle school, and this year we'll be doing 30 students at the high school, sending food home every weekend so that that's not a problem for them. This isn't a third world country that we're talking about. This is our county where there's kids who don't have food, they don't have clothes, but we're being able to step in and do something for them. And I went and looked at the numbers. This past year, Project 216 spent $11,000 on meeting the needs of kids in our county. And I think, give yourselves a hand. That's what happens when churches and organizations and the community gets together to do something and to make a difference. And I think that's amazing. So. While I was looking at this, you know, all those statistics are wonderful, and I can give you numbers of how many t-shirts we've given out and, and everything that we've done, but I think if we just pat ourselves on the back today and throw some money in the offering bucket, that we're missing out on the bigger picture. Because what we are choosing to do through Project 216 is take true Christianity outside these doors. Instead of just coming in here and being Christians together and loving God where it's easy, we're taking our Christianity and the fact that we love God and follow Jesus 
outside the doors where it really matters and really, really can make a difference. So Clint was talking about the idea of making a difference. It's an eternal thing, right? So how are shoes and clothes and physical items eternal, right? They're not. I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. Here's what I learned. It's been shown that our brains, when it detects a physical need, like something shelter or food or I'm hungry, something physical, there's actually a reflex response in your brain that takes over. It stops focusing on anything except meeting that need. And so you can't learn anymore. You can't take in new information. So what's happened with the kids in the school, if they're in poverty and they're worried about where their next meal is coming from, they're not going to be learning math. They're not going to be able to do what they need to do. So the first goal of Project 216 is to give them a fighting chance at success. But I think it goes beyond that. And what this generosity does is it begins to open their heart. Because there's a saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? That's what Project 216 does. When they have that physical need, they don't care about your favorite Bible verse. They don't care about what song you sang at church that just blessed your soul. What they're worried about is food. What they're worried about is what they're going to put on their body for clothes. That's what makes sense to their brain when they're in this place. But once those basic needs are met, they can start to open their minds and their hearts to a savior. That's where the eternity comes in. And you look at the stories of Jesus in the Bible, he always took care of basic needs before he would begin to teach them. The 5,000 that were sitting there hungry, he didn't just say, I hear your stomach's rumbling, but I've just got to teach you this one more thing. What did he do? He fed them. When people were blind, he healed their eyes. When they were sick, he healed their sickness and then told them, okay, now go it and follow God. He took care of those physical needs because it was a way for their heart to turn. And that's what Project 216 does. We take care of basic needs so the students and the families realize that they have value. And once they realize that they have value and someone out in the world actually notices their situation, they realize a human can care about them, and then once they see a human can care about them, they begin to realize, maybe God can care about me. Maybe he actually sees what's going on. And that knowledge won't just change their life in school, but it can change their eternity. And we have no way of knowing the final outcome, but if we're helping take care of students and giving them a fighting chance at success, and ultimately a fighting chance to actually encounter God, then as they grow into adults, they're gonna impact Screven County. So what we're doing through this will begin to change our entire community. I really believe that. And we play a role in that big picture. And I can honestly say 11 years ago, we never thought that buying a couple of t-shirts and pairs of shoes was gonna turn into this. But what we did was we went to God and said, here we are, take what we have and use it. And he is always faithful to do that when somebody just offers themselves and goes, we don't know what this is gonna look like, but take it, God, it's yours, use us. And we put a little effort into it, and we put a little bit of money into it, and look what it's turned into all these years later. So that's amazing. Um, and I'll close with this. I've read this quote before, but as Clint was talking, um, it just really, it hit home with me again. So this is uh, by a man named John Acuff. And he said, 
If at the end of my life, the only thing I've accomplished is a comfortable life, my days have been wasted. If at the end of my life, the only thing I've fought for is my own name, my days have been wasted. If at the end of my life, the only thing I've cared about is my own care, my days have been wasted. If at the end of my life, the only thing I've stood for is my own reputation, my days have been wasted. If at the end of my life, the only thing I've traded are works for rewards, my days have been wasted. May we not go to the grave quietly. May we not make refuse of the gifts we have been given. May we never chase the shiny in place of the holy, the trend instead of the truth, the immediate instead of the eternal. Arrive empty to the grave, having given all you were given, stewarded all you were tasked with. Give the grave only bones. And I thought that was just such a beautiful way to put it. Of That's how we're supposed to live. Not holding on and hoarding everything, but do what we're supposed to do. Don't leave anything on the table. Take it all and do what you're supposed to do. We're going to make a difference because God already made a difference for us. We're going to go out, show love, because he already loved us. And we need to do that in our community. And people outside those doors need to be taken care of. So what we're going to do today, we're going to do it a little bit differently. If you wouldn't mind, if you brought your offering today, go ahead and grab it and stand up. Um, We're going to pass offering buckets while we sing our last song. If you didn't come ready to give today, you can give anytime online, just Market Project 216, and it'll go to this fund. But I just encourage you, as we're passing offering buckets and as we're singing, just thank God for what he's going to do through this. Amen? We have an opportunity to change people's lives. I'm going to pray and bless it, and then we'll sing. God, we thank you today. I thank you for this opportunity to reach our community, God. I thank you that you're faithful, Lord, when we just offer up what little we have, you take it and do so much more through it. God, that we don't do this by ourselves. God, we join together as a church and as a community to make a difference. We believe for eternal impact to come from what we do in the schools, Lord God, from what you do through these gifts, Lord God. Bless every penny that comes in. I thank you that it will continue to be enough for Project 216 to do what you've called it to do. And I bless everyone who's given today, Lord God, that you would return it to them. Bless them for being generous, Lord, and we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name.